I want to talk about faith this morning. And there's, there's several reasons for that. But this past week, um, I, was, I left church and I went to this place and got some lunch. And as I got my lunch, I saw a man there that I've actually been talking to for about the last two years, trying to have some spiritual conversations, trying to open the door to some spiritual conversations. And he's okay with it, not really too open. But this past week, Tuesday or Wednesday, when I saw him, I could tell something was wrong. And he had that look on his face like, you know, somebody just shot my dog. Obviously something was wrong. And so I said, how are you doing? He said, I'm fine, I'm fine. And you know when somebody you know is not doing well, but they say I'm fine, it's best just to let them breathe a little bit. It's best just to back off just a little bit. And so I did and got my food and went and sat down. And about five minutes later, he comes over to me and he says, do you have five minutes? And I said, oh, sure. And um, he tells me he has cancer. He's about my age. And instantly about three emotions run through my, my mind. Number one, I'm sad. I'm sad he's got cancer. Absolutely sad. Number two, I'm glad that we're at least going to have a conversation. We're going to have maybe a spiritual conversation because now he's open. But number three, I, I'm a little mad. I'm a little mad that he wasn't prepared for his storm. You see... Every one of us in this room, we're going to have a storm. And, and so I, I, I'm, I'm sad that he's got cancer. I'm glad that he wants to have a spiritual conversation. But he's not prepared for the storm that's going to take place. Now, had he had a faith in God, had he had a deep, rich faith in God, he can't lose either way. But right now, he may not win either way. And so I'm sitting there in this restaurant thinking to myself, you know, I've tried for two years, and now, and his world is falling apart. So we exchange numbers. I send him some scripture verses. I'm going to help him. I'm going to walk through him with this. I'm all into this. But, but as your pastor, I don't want that to be you. I want you to be equipped and prepared for no matter what happens, that you can't lose either way. That's the position in life that you want to be in. You want to be in a position that, that if you get cancer and you don't make it, you're, you've made it. Right? And, and that's, that's where we all want to be. So I have a goal this morning. My goal this morning is that I want to help all of us become a 10 in our faith. Scale of 1 to 10, 1 being little faith, 10 being high faith. My goal this morning is not a 6.6, it's not an 8.8, it's not a 3.3. My goal is that we all walk out of here, and that, that, that is those of you that, that are in the faith. Some of you are still trying to figure all this out, and that's cool. We're glad you're here today. You have a front row seat. You get to watch all this. But for those of you that are in, our goal today, what's our goal today? It's a 10. Our goal today is a 10 that you will walk out of here with a 10. Your faith will be robust. Now, what would keep you, if you're in the faith, what would keep you from being a 10? Where, where, what, where might you be a, a 2 or a 3 or 4? What, what would cause that? Well, I have some suggestions. Maybe I have been apathetic. If I'm not a 10 today, maybe I have been apathetic. Now, that just means I've chased other things. I've chased her, I've chased him, I've chased a job, I've chased money, I've chased toys, I've chased... If I'm not a 10 today, it means I've been chasing other things. Maybe, maybe I'm confused. 
Maybe I'm not only apathetic, but I'm also confused. And there's a lot of confusing things. My prayers were answered, but I thought they should be answered this way, or my prayers weren't answered, or, you know, that person's such a good person, and they've had such a storm in their own lives. Maybe I'm confused. Maybe, look at number three, maybe I've been foolish and prideful. Now, those are different. If you're prideful, you are foolish, but you can be foolish without being prideful. So, so maybe in my life, I, I'm just, I'm, my faith is a two because I've just been foolish. I, I've been prideful. And the last one is I have been just sinful. So I'm going to introduce to you a man today who you would never think would have a 10 faith. In fact, you wouldn't think he has any faith at all. And I'm going to introduce this man to you. And if this guy can become a 10, everybody in the room can become a 10. There's, there's no reason that we can't also become a 10. So what's our goal this morning? It's a 10. Our goal is that your faith will become a 10. Now, before we unpackage this, I've got five, you're going to think I have ADD. I've got five random traits about this man that I just want you to see. I just want to introduce this man to you with five different goofy random traits, all right? Here's the first one. Number one, this guy has no background in Jewish theology, no background whatsoever. In fact, this guy was raised in a polytheistic culture where lots of gods and not just one true God, but, and he has no background. Number two, he's willing to be embarrassed. How many men do you know, ladies, are willing to be embarrassed, right? And, and he's willing to be embarrassed for his faith. Number three, this man has a heart for a servant. He's powerful, and yet he's concerned about his servant. Number four trait, he wants to spare Jesus from an awkward moment. I think this is cool. You'll see that in just a minute. And then number five, he has both humility and he has both strength. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 8. In Matthew chapter 8, start with verse 5. We're going to look at some traits and some scripture verses about a very unlikely candidate. If this guy can develop a 10 faith, anybody in the room can become a 10, okay? So Matthew chapter 8, verse 5 says this. When Jesus entered Capernaum, now that's where Jesus hung out. He was in Nazareth. He kind of got kicked out of Nazareth. And for almost two and a half years, Jesus was in Capernaum. He does miracles. He raises the dead. He heals the sick. He helps people, you know, with the loaves. He does all kinds of cool miracles in Capernaum. So that, that's nothing new. That, that city is a great city, and it's nothing new. I've been there. It's nothing like, you know, why is he there? He, he's, he goes there. He, was, he hung out there. He lived there for about two and a half years, traveled from there. But when he was in Capernaum, a centurion. A centurion is a Roman soldier. It's a Roman soldier who's in charge of 100 soldiers. It's like a captain. It's like a major in our, in our, our, in our forces. And he's got 100 men at his disposal. So this is a powerful man. This is a, the power of Rome, and it's a centurion. And look what he does. He comes to Jesus, and what does he do? What does it say? He asks for help. He asks for help. Now, we'll explore that and unpackage that in just a minute. Look at the next verse. Lord, he said. Now, that's interesting. He's the power of Rome, and he's calling him Lord. He said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. So, again, he's a military man, but he's got a slave or a servant in his home who's got a problem. He is paralyzed. He is suffering terribly, and this guy cares. He cares about this. Look what happens next. 
Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? It's a great question. The guy never really said what he wanted Jesus to do. He just presented the problem. And so Jesus assumed that he needed to go to the house. Look what he says next. The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That's a great statement. Because if Jesus came into that house, Jesus then would become ceremonially unclean. The moment Jesus stepped through that door, the moment Jesus touched the Roman, Jesus became ceremonially unclean. And I think this Roman soldier wants to prevent Jesus from becoming ceremonially unclean. Lord, I I don't deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word. If you just say the word, we'll come back to that in just a minute. My servant will be healed. You just say the word. Look at verse 9. For I myself am a man under authority. I got soldiers under me. And I tell this one, go, and he goes. And I tell that soldier, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. Now, what is he talking about? Wow, Jesus has authority over what? The paralyzed man over a servant who's suffering? Look at verse 10. Jesus says this. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. And he said to those following him, Truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. Now Jesus is impressed, not with the Jewish man. He's impressed with the Roman man. And the Roman man develops a ten faith. He does three things. There's three steps to this man's faith. And these are the three steps that I want you to grasp this morning. That's just going to be the first half of the message. But the first three steps will help you with your storms. And then we're going to talk about your race. And if you don't have a 10 faith, you're not prepared for the storms of your life, and you will never run your race. And everybody in this room, every man, every woman, every boy, every girl, you've been called by your Heavenly Father to run a specific race. I got four or five guys that I meet with, pray with, have lunch with. We all have different races. Their race is not my race. My race is not their race. You have a specific race by your Heavenly Father. But in order for you to be able to handle the first part, which are the storms of life, we we embrace these three steps. Number one, the centurion asked for help. He, He asked for help. When is the last time you've been on your hands and knees and you've asked your Heavenly Father for help? When's the last time you've laid across your bed with your elbows on the bed and you said, Father, I've got this aging parent problem. I've got this marriage issue. I've got a grandchild. I've got a a son or a daughter. I've got a, a job problem. I have a relationship problem. I have a, when's the last time you've had a problem that you've just laid it out before your father? This is what he does. This is why he developed a 10 faith. He asked for help. Number two, He trusts in Jesus' authority. He trusts in the authority of Jesus. Now, I think, again, we have to read between the lines. We have to assume that he's watched Jesus now for about two and a half years heal the sick, raise the dead, maybe multitudes of bread and loaves and fish and all that kind of stuff. He is watched, and he knows. He knows that Jesus has the authority because he can't do it. He's a big, bad Roman soldier, the power of Rome, but he can't overcome the suffering. He can't overcome the paralysis. He has no power over the paralysis. And so he comes to Jesus, and number two, he, has, he trusts in Jesus, and number three, he's confident that Jesus is not only willing, but Jesus is able. So do you believe that? Do you believe 
that Jesus is not only willing, but he is able to help you with whatever storms of life you have that are larger than yours. Again, everybody's either in a storm, you're coming out of a storm, or you're going to go into a storm. All right, that's the first half. You with me so far? All right, now I want to get to the really good part, okay? That was all free. All right? I want us to turn now to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 11 is called the Hall of Faith. Just like 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is called the love chapter, Hebrews chapter 11 is really called the the faith chapter. And so right after this incredible faith chapter in Hebrews chapter 11, by faith Abraham, by faith Moses, by faith Moses, by faith Jeremiah, by faith Samson, by faith, you come to chapter 12 where we're at today. And Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1 says this. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. All right, look at the screen, read with me, all of us ready, here we go. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. The goal today is a 10, but I don't know where you are. So if you're a two, or you're a five, or you're a six, or you're a seven, or you're a nine, here's why. You think you're alone. You think you're secluded. You think you're doing your life on your own, by your own authority, and by your own power. Whenever I meet somebody who's not a 10 in their faith, they have kind of shrunk back and they feel like, you know what, I I am all alone I, am all, I don't have family, I don't have friends, I don't have a community, I don't have this rich heritage, I, I am all alone. I, I meet people who think, I, I, I am secluded, I am secluded, and here's what the scriptures say, you are not alone, you have an army around you, you are not secluded, you are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. And Hebrews chapter 11 talks about you and I in this room, we have the faith of Moses. We have the faith of Abraham. We have the faith of Jeremiah. We have the faith of... We have all those people. We're not, a, we're not secluded. We are surrounded. Every one of us in this room, we are surrounded by a cloud of witnesses who's gone before us. Also, in your family tree, maybe not the last generation, maybe you're family tree, if you looked at it, you go, Kurt, it's just full of crazies. We got just crazies. And if you don't think your family tree has any crazies, that means you're the crazy one. (laughs) That means you are crazy, okay? Every family has crazies. Everybody, but, but I guarantee you in your family tree, there was some old farmer who got down on his knees and he prayed for his future generations. And you are here today as a result of his answered prayer. There's some great, 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 great grandmother that got down on her hands and knees and she prayed for her great, 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 great grandchildren. And that's you. And you are here today. You are not secluded. You are surrounded. You are not alone. You have an army of people. You have a cloud of witnesses and you have people in your family tree. And we're not alone today. Look at, look at today. You have pastors. You have teachers. 
You have connect group leaders. You have prayer partners. You have all these volunteers. Nobody in this room is secluded. We are a family, and the family of God, we march forward together. Nobody is secluded. We're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. That just fires me up because that's at my disposal, and it's at your disposal. So because of that, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Why? Because you've got a race to run. There is a race involved for you to run. So let's talk about your race because what messes up your race is called sin, and sin entangles. Sin entangles our lives. We all know that. We've been out hiking before and we trip over a root or a, you know, a, a, a log or something. It, it trips us up, right? Or if your shoelaces are untied, you know, eventually you've got to tie them up or you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna trip. Sin entangles. Anytime I'm talking with somebody and I'm asking them how they're doing spiritually, and I know they're not doing well, and they'll say, they'll say to me, well, it, it, it's complicated. You know what complicated is a code word for? It's a code word for sin. It's complicated. What do you mean it's complicated? Well, how are you doing? Well, it's just complicated. That's a code word for sin. That means I know what the Word of God says, but I've chosen to live by the world. I know what the Word of God says, but I'm going to be molded by the world. Whenever somebody says it's complicated, that's a code word for sin. Sin is complicating. Your life, my life becomes real complicated by sin, doesn't it? So he says, let us throw off everything that so easily entangles. We were water skiing yesterday, had a blast water skiing for a long time. Danita had water skied, and she was on this little island called Brotherhood Island with our golden retriever. Ethan had water skied, Emily water skied, and that was my time. I'm slalom skiing, and after about four and a half minutes, I am done. If you know what I mean with that, I'm exhausted, I'm, I'm done. And so I decided to kind of be like Cypress Gardens, dude, you know. I pointed to the island for Ethan, you know, and I'm going 30 miles an hour, and I'm on this side, and the island's over here. So Ethan whips the boat around, and I whip around, you know. I'm big and bad. This is going to be fun. I forgot about the shelf that was in front of the island. Little, you know, thin shelf of mud right there. The old ski hits that shelf. The ski stops, and Kurt does this and just keeps going. Splat, flat. My wife's 20 yards ahead of me. You would think now, after 31 years of marriage, my wife would be concerned about my physical well-being. I look up at Danita, and she is gasping for air, trying not to laugh so hard. And then after I'm, you know, have all my limbs attached, they finally somebody said, "Are you all right?" <laughs> I just hope you confessed your sins during communion this morning, honey. <laughs> it's easy to get entangled, isn't it? We know it's like to get entangled. He says, "No, no, no! Throw off the sin that so easily entangles you. Why? Because you've got a race to run. You've got a race to run. Everybody has a race to run." And your race, your race is not difficult. Your race is impossible. Your race isn't difficult. Your race is absolutely impossible. It's not hard to have a church in Safety Harbor and ask people to come to Christ and ask people to repent from their sins and ask people to to do all kinds of things for God and turn away from the world. That's not hard. 
It's impossible. It's not hard this afternoon for Stephen and Griffin and all these guys to have this great big event for middle schoolers and high schoolers and to ask middle schoolers and high schoolers not to get complicated, not to live a complicated life, but to live by the Word of God. That's not hard. That's impossible. I went, left my opportunity to go to Purdue, scholarships. I I didn't do that. I went to a Bible college, felt God called me to preach. You take a test. The first week you go into Bible college, you take a test on your Bible knowledge. I didn't grow up in Sunday school. I scored in the bottom 14th percentile of all people who ever taken that test. <laughs> if you're a guest this morning, you should have gone to the Presbyterian church this morning, okay? They're smart people, all right? How do you get from there to here? It's not hard. It's impossible. And your race is absolutely impossible. But he has a race for you to run. So how do you do it? How do you run your race? Well, look at the next verse. This is just really cool. He says you fix your eyes on Jesus. It's real simple. That is simple. You fix your eyes on Jesus. Everything becomes about Jesus. You fixed your eyes on Jesus. We are very excited about the wedding chapel. You all have given $800,000 so far. We're about halfway there. It's awesome. We are just about finished with some preliminary drawings. We're going to put a sign out there as you drive in where it's going to be. But here's what's so exciting. Here's what's so exciting about the wedding chapel. It's the ministry that we're going to take place. You see, we're going to be able to do premarital and postmarital counseling. We're working on all that, Tom uh, Goodlett and a team of people. We're going to have like a year-long, after they get married, like a year-long class to help all these people. But here's the point. If we can get a young man who doesn't have a clue about Christ and doesn't have a clue about Scripture, if we can get a young man fixing his eyes on Jesus, will he be a better husband? If we can get a young woman who may not have grown up in church, may not understand, we can get a young woman to fix her eyes on Jesus, will she be a better wife and a bride? Absolutely. And this is your life and this is my life. So we fix our eyes on Jesus. That's the ticket. That's the answer. That's the fun part. So here's a guy who's a Roman soldier who is the least likely candidate to ever come to Christ and have a faith. And he's got a 10. He's got a 10 faith because he fixed his eyes on Jesus. Jesus is the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Jesus went to the cross. He died on the cross. He descended into Hades for three days. At that moment, he disarmed all the principalities of hell. He took away the keys from Satan. Satan's so broke, he doesn't even have keys to his own house. Okay? And Jesus Christ then scorned the shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, why did he sit down? Because it is finished. It is finished. And what was finished? All the pain, all the sin, all the separation, and now all the power and all the glory and all the honor. And he's called you and he's called me to run our race. Your race, it's not difficult. It's impossible. But that's where the power of Christ comes in. And so Jesus sits down at the right hand of the Father because it's finished. And now, what did he do? He released his Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is active in your life and in my life. And the Holy Spirit's constantly working, transforming you, changing you, and moving you from a two or three to a ten. 
This is a great story I, I want to close with, and I want to read this story to you so I can get most of it right. Because maybe you feel like you don't qualify for a faith. Maybe you feel like you've sinned and you've done so many fractured things that you can't ever have a 10. Well, listen to this story. This is by Lee Strobel, and he says, Friends, I have a favor to ask, Luis Palau said in his Argentinian accent. Now, Luis Palau is the Billy Graham of Latino communities. And so Luis Palau has got a son who's not right with God. This was like 20-some years ago. And so Luis Palau said, would you pray for my son, Andrew? He's far from the Lord, and we're very concerned about him. I'm not sure that Luis meant for us to put down our forks and pray right then at dinner, but we did. We felt too awkward to ask for details, so we simply paused to ask God to open Andrew's heart to grace. Andrew is the third of four sons of Luis and Palau. In the early years, Luis translated for Billy Graham and then went on to become one of his own generation's most renowned evangelists with his outreach festival books and radio programs, now having reached a billion people in 75 countries. He's a big dog, okay? 75 countries. And so, but he's got a son who's far from God. And so Lee Strobel is interviewing the son, Andrew. Andrew said, I was a fool. Andrew said to me more than two decades after that spontaneous prayer session I had with his father, I squandered every opportunity. I took the path of least resistance, and I stumbled through life drunk, stoned, or both. Just about every decision I made was wrong. Everything was about me, having fun, chasing women, partying with friends, getting into trouble. What was driving you, I ask? Did you see hypocrisy in your home? Did your father neglect you or abuse you or wound you emotionally? No, nothing like that. I can't blame anybody else. You see, I was in love with Andrew. I was rebellious, although not because I was angry at God. Well, did you think Christianity was true? Well, that's kind of the embarrassing part. I actually thought it probably was. What did you think of church? I kind of liked it. My heart was headed nowhere, Andrew said. But my dad never stopped pursuing me. I especially remember a letter he wrote me before he visited me in Northern Ireland. And it really shows his heart. Dear Andrew, you were born, Andrew, to be a man of God. The Lord loves you with an everlasting love. The first step he has taken is to bring to himself is that he went willingly and personally for you to a cross. And on that cross, he became your substitute. He took your place and your punishment, and he removed your guilt forever. I pray, first of all, Andrew, that you would open your heart to Jesus Christ for sure. If you confess with your lips, Andrew, that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart, Andrew, that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. If you haven't made that decision for sure, Andrew, and you want me to help pray with you, nothing would give me greater joy in the whole world. I would do it if you want. Now, fast forward a few more years. God, he whispered, what's keeping me from you? And immediately in a flash, this is hard to put into words, Andrew said, God miraculously opened my eyes to what had been keeping us apart. There before me was all the garbage in my life, all my lying, my cheating, my stealing, my abusive relationships, all my arrogance and pride, all the addictions and all the people that I had hurt, 
the deceptions, the hypocrisy, the callousness. I saw it all. This seemingly insurmountable pile of sin stacked as high as I could see. I was stricken. I was horrified. I gasped and I fell on my face, embarrassed, humiliated, but I was remorseful. Bawling like I'd never bawled before. I was heaving with sobs. My tears were falling on the floor. God, I said, how could I have been such a fool? Please forgive me. Please take this away. I can't live with it anymore. What hope do I have when all, with all of this garbage is still within me? And God's response in that moment was right out of Scripture. If you confess your sin, Andrew, I am able to forgive you of your unrighteousness. I will clean it out. I will take it as far as the east is from the west, and I will remember your sin no more. I started confessing as fast as God would bring my sins into my consciousness. After two or three hours, it was over. It was like God had flipped on a light in my soul. It was such an incredible relief, an utter sense of release from all the things I'd been entrapped. For the first time, I understood what Jesus meant when he said he would not only make us free, but we would be free indeed. I kept thanking God for his grace. And then, out of sheer gratitude, I whispered, I will tell everyone what you have done for me. I know I want you to be a 10. But it's bigger than what I want. It's what he wants. He wants you to run your race. And he will give you faith, faith, faith to walk on water. Faith to move mountains. Faith that you never knew you had because you don't have it because it comes from him. And he will give you this incredible faith to transform and to change people's lives and to change your life. So I'm going to ask us to stand and I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to sing. We're going to worship. And I'm going to ask you with this worship song just to, don't leave. I'm going to ask you not to leave. I'm going to ask you to pour out your heart to him. Father, wow. We are not secluded. We are surrounded. We are not alone. There is an army who have gone before us. There is an army who stands beside us. May our faith grow and grow and grow and grow and grow today. We put all our faith and trust in you. And we will run our race. And we will run our race victoriously and powerfully with you and for you. Hear us, Father, as we sing and worship you. In Jesus' name.